0: Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite t-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixed Down. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30, Communication Mixed Down cranking up right here on 3CR that's us communication mixed down and I'm John Langer our co-presenter Jen Martin is overseas at a conference for a couple weeks so I'll be doing the show solo did you know this week is privacy awareness week well neither did I But someone who does know a lot about Privacy Awareness Week and a lot more concerning personal privacy in the digital and information age is Sulette Dreyfus. She's a research fellow in the Department of Communicating and Information Systems at Melbourne University, and her work looks at privacy, new media, surveillance, and citizenship Thanks for your time tonight, Sulette. I'm
1: very happy to join you on Privacy Week.
0: And tell us about Privacy Week. When did it start? What's it about?
1: Uh, so Privacy Week is um, being run by um, the Office of the Privacy, the Commissioner for Privacy and Data Protection, um, and uh, it is part of a um, uh, wider um, brief, and I think the... Um, uh, the theme i 'm just trying to remember what the theme was, but is trust and transparency um, this year um, now, of course, some interesting news about the privacy commissioner 's office we 've just seen come through uh, as a result partially of budget cuts and perhaps for political reasons as well um, has been this uh, merging that's been announced by the Andrews government of the Privacy and Data Protection Commissioner's Office and the Freedom of Information Commissioner being rolled into one in a fairly controversial bill. But um, that doesn't mean that we should be any less concerned about our mm-hmm. privacy, just potentially because the government may be.
0: <laughs> okay, and that's exactly what I want to pursue uh, in our little discussion this, the, uh, this evening. Yeah. Um this is a little bit abstract this uh privacy i want to draw it down to cases particularly i want to look at or get you to th- talk to us about facebook now my understanding is that facebook at the moment has 2 billion users worldwide uh. it's got 16 million users just here in australia uh. mark zuckerberg who's the okay. ceo or the head the founder of facebook has reputedly declared a couple of years ago that privacy as dead Uh. now i want to just pull this together a little bit over the past few months facebook's come under increasing criticism for its underhanded breaches of privacy and some of its other very secretive practices can you run through very briefly some of those those criticisms and concerns that have been voiced in the last few months
1: Sure. Um, I think, and and it's very relevant because of this announcement that we just had yesterday about, in a sense... Um, when when the Andrews government has decided to merge the Office of Privacy and Data Protection Commissioner with Information Commissioner or Freedom of Information Commissioner and they've effectively downgraded their resources, it's ironic because it's at this very moment when we actually need an increase in privacy. And that's because so much of our lives are actually lived online, but not just online. We're living them in um, electronic mediums, platforms, whatever, um, that are controlled by a set of large tech companies uh and those tech companies because they own the platform are effectively able to mine it for information about you. So if you think about Facebook and by all means you know Facebook is not the only uh company that is perhaps cause for concern around personal privacy. There's Google, there's plenty of others. Um but you know every day you, if you're a Facebook user, um, you may turn to Facebook, and it has become, in a sense, um, a way of wrapping around your life. So um, you upload your personal photos, your family photos. It's become your family photo album. Uh, it, it's how you reach your friends. It's become your contact book. Um, your employer may look at it. It's become your CV. Mm. Um, you know, it's your work diary. It's all of those things, all in one place, um, and. And you are supposed to be able to control who can see it by ticking a set of boxes. Often people don't realize that they can do that, but they can restrict it. And and that's perhaps quite a good thing, but obviously you can't restrict it from Facebook looking at it. And where does that come into play? Well, there is uh, a news feed that you can see on your Facebook page where news is delivered to you the way, for example, that the Age of the Herald Sun might be delivered to your front doorstep in newspaper format. Now, normally, we've all as a society um, read the same newspapers or seen the same same ABC TV reports, and those have been decided by the editors or producers sitting in their room. And, And you could make a case of the fact, well, why should they get to decide? So on Facebook or on some of these other platforms, you get to decide what you want to see. But the problem with that... Uh, is twofold. One, um, you know, you begin to move into this filter bubble of just reinforcing your own views. You know, I want to see what I want to see, which is what I believe, which is what I want to see. And, you know, before long, your your mind isn't perhaps being opened up in the same way that it might have been by reading um, the mainstream media. But the second more concerning thing is that the way that these news feeds are actually developed uh, is partially, uh, it's on a set of algorithms, and it's partially on the basis of what your preferences are. So feed, Feeding you more news of the type that you like. But it's also determined by, you know, the algorithms are also determined by what Facebook um, thinks will be able to sell to its customers. And you may think that those algorithms are designed just for your benefit. You know, they're not. They're designed Mm. for the benefit of the customers who pay Facebook to advertise Mm. um, in very targeted ways. And um, now, some people may say, hey, that's a good thing, you know, if I go to Amazon and I like um, Chuck Berry, then I want... You know, an, mm. a, an automated mm. algorithm to tell me other you know, artists who are like Chuck Berry and are going to sound like Chuck Berry, and that's who I'm going to want to buy. So in that sense, it can be very beneficial. But the downside of this uh, is that it can also be very intrusive to your privacy, and it can start to have implications in other aspects of your life. So imagine, if you will, that you have 200 people you've friended on Facebook. But little, little known to you, two of them actually have criminal records. Okay. Mm. Now it's your personal friendship group, whatever, okay. But now imagine that an employer group or a seek.com or whomever actually scrapes your Facebook data it isn't even necessarily Facebook selling it to them they just scrape your Facebook data and all of a sudden they've got an automated system of trolling your Facebook and saying well who are you connected to oh, oh well we run a check on these mm. people oh two of them have termed up criminal records now all of a sudden is their algorithm programmed to say mm, if any of your friends have a criminal record then that's going to be a black mark against you if you want to apply for this job or this mm. loan or whatever it is mm-hmm. um, Look, and you, uh, you may never know. You may never know that that's why you were blacklisted or rejected.
0: The um, the thing, thing that I've been reading about is that uh, the the um, there's a Facebook actually did a study a couple of years ago, <coughs> a, a secret study mm-hmm. on users to manipulate the feeds yes. so that they could, in a sense, see whether the feeds that you're talking about would affect people's reading it and yeah. and their emotional states. Mm.
1: And and that's that's kind of concerning. So it was um, a quote study that was done. Um, I think perhaps there was a, a little bit of a. Um, big-leaf approach to doing the experiment on the Facebook population that Facebook wanted to do um, by, by linking it with an academic um, group of people and calling it a study. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know of that many people on um, academic ethics committees who would have necessarily uh, mm-hmm. agreed that doing this sort of study without consent from the participants, and I don't mean the kind of 25 pages of you know nine-point nine font Mm -hmm. legally used Mm -hmm. documents you get whenever you sign up for, you know, Google account or Facebook account or whatever, Amazon account that I'm not talking about and you don't mind if we use your data consent. I'm talking about the explicit consent that people always sign when they do, you know, academic research-based, you know, interview questions or whatever. Um, So it's, it's an interesting question that, but it was quite concerning, you know, the idea that a corporation sitting in, you know, the United States could effectively influence, um, you know, hundreds, thousands, and, and indeed potentially mm. more than a billion people's moods for the day simply by what they're feeding them in their news feed, and the methods through which the algorithm actually chooses what goes in that news feed are not transparent. Now, they could say for good reason they're not transparent because they're the intellectual property of the company and they give it a competitive advantage, and there's certainly a strong argument for that. However, um, if you're a consumer, you might also like to understand how is your data being used in order to be part of this non-transparent feedback loop? Into you know into into giving you the news, um, and and that's concerning.
0: My understanding also is again, I might be getting this wrong, but my understanding is that Facebook can actually track you through a whole range of things, even though you're not actually even using Facebook at the time.
1: Yeah, there's been some reporting of that, um, and I'm not I'm not across the details of it, but yes, there there's been some reporting of exactly that problem, uh, and. That is you know, very concerning. Um, and But it's not only Facebook. There are the other tech companies that can do it as well. One of the best resources, um, free resources, that people can do is go to the Electronic Frontier um, EFF a Foundation in the U.S. EFF, you'll find it, .org. Yep, yep. And they have um, a fantastic set of tools there, which will improve the privacy, um, of your computer. And so whether you're browsing the internet, um, or you want to send emails securely to your friends or family, there are a whole bunch of, of options there for free downloadable software. Um, I think all of it has been open source, which means that mm. the broader community in a sense has had a chance to troll through the code and make sure that it's not backdoored. Um, And it's really easy to use. So you don't have to be, you know, a technology whiz to actually install it. And some of the things that it can, uh, some of the software that they have will reduce the amount of tracking which is done when you browse the web. So if you imagine, you know, all sorts of little... Um, limpets attaching on to your web browser from all the places that you actually browse that are kind of suctioned onto your browsing habits. You know you may not be very happy about that. Mm. Um, and and you can delete cookies and history after each browsing episode. But um, these sorts of tools, Privacy Badger and, and other tools, um, using browsers um, such as DuckDuckGo yes. um, or Start Page. Um, which don't, mm-hmm. you know, track and, and keep your browsing history the way, for example, that uh, Google might. Those are all really good ways to just edge up your privacy that little bit more.
0: We'll put that information on our website, on the Communication Mixdown mm-hmm. website for sure. Just this is a naive question: Are you saying that if I was a Facebook user, mm-hmm. I could use these devices that you've just talked about and still use Facebook, and it would track me less?
1: Um, I don't know about its efficacy against Facebook's particular methods of tracking, um, so you need to read mm-hmm. up a bit about it. And the EFS site does actually, I think, talk a little bit about the, the issues with Facebook. But, I mean, part of the problem that people have to think about is... They're so excited, in a sense, to build, and some people spend a lot of time and energy building their Facebook pages, Absolutely. to build this sort of creative thing online. Mm. But they forget they're not just building, for example, a blog site or a website where they own the thing that underpins mm. all these hours of creativity. That platform is actually owned by a company you know, elsewhere and is controlled by it and and so you're putting in information about yourself in that setting and why you may want to share it with friends it's not the same as doing a mail list mail out to 20 of your closest friends with pictures of your kids or whatever mm. it's quite different um and so people need to think a little bit also about if they put personal information especially young people if you put really personal information about that you know drunken wild night you had and you're mm. 17 18 years old whatever and then you go for a job when you're 23 you know you may want to think again sure. because <clears throat> that sort of information you know often doesn't doesn't die on the internet the other thing i, I was just going to mention mm, is mm. um tomorrow Uh, on Friday between 1 and 2.30 p.m. One of the activities of the Commissioner for Privacy and Data Protection's office um, is a session that's been co-hosted by the University of Melbourne uh, at the uh, Sydney Meyer Asia Centre. And you can get to it through the Commissioner's website, but it's about privacy in young people. So it's You know, the perspective of some young people uh, is that privacy is not dead, it's just different. So people say, oh, God, you know, you're 16, you're 17, you put all this information up. And so a lot of young people have a view that says, well, we we want privacy, we just want it differently. Mm. So there's a a very interesting youth advisory group um, to the commissioner's office, which is having this event, and they're looking for youth voices to participate in it.
0: Oh, that sounds absolutely – that sounds great, actually, and and I recommend that people – Go get along to that, and actually, Sulette, it'd be very good to to make some contact with some of those young mm. people. Um, maybe for another episode of uh, Communication Mixdown, we can get get a couple of them to come in and talk a little bit about different different ways that privacy gets defined by younger people.
1: Because mm. I think it's very interesting how you know they're not afraid to put a whole lot of things that someone who's forty or fifty might not want to put online, but there are other things that they do consider to be quite private. Sure. Um, the other thing that's interesting is, of course, this week for Privacy Week, um, the Commissioner's Office has released um, the guidelines to surveillance and privacy in the Victorian public sector, and um, it is, you know, more for the policy wonk geek type people who are interested. Um, but it is interesting, and it's a very easy to read document. But it sort of talks a little bit about we well, define what is surveillance. You know, is it mm-hmm. physical? Mm-hmm. Is it data surveillance? Is it biometric mm-hmm. surveillance? Your fingerprints, your DNA, um, and 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 how should things like CCTV or drones, spy drones, can drones mm. and cameras be used? And what what restrictions should there be on cameras that you wear on your body, for example? Sure. Um, And, you know, whether or not data that's collected for one purpose should be allowed to be used for a different purpose later on or function creep. So there's some interesting things that are raised in it. And they're things that, in a sense, we all should Mm, think mm. about because, when, you know, government has quite extensive powers to collect information about us, it's not just Facebook. Uh, and so thinking about what sort of guidelines, you know, people should have, in a sense, imposed on them in that process with those powers is, is a useful thing when thinking about our own privacy.
0: that so we're going to have to leave it there. And uh, I want to thank you so much for being on Communication Mixed Down. And we will get back to you and talk a little bit more about this. It's obviously a very complex area. So thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. Talking there was Sulette Dreyfus. She's a research fellow in the Department of Computing and Information Systems. And that's at Melbourne University. And she's a specialist in privacy issues related to digital media.
2: Come along to the May 20th Conference, 1916-17 Anti-Conscription Campaigns, Impacts and Legacies. The day-long conference will feature speakers including Barry Jones alongside a host of local historians and will explore issues such as World War I activist groups, the Vietnam War and conscription and war-making powers today. Saturday, May the 20th from 9am to 4.30pm at Sightworks, Saxon Street, Brunswick. Tickets are $20 or $30 for keen supporters. Head to brunswickanticonscription.wordpress.com for more information and to book tickets. That's brunswickanticonscription.wordpress.com. The Brunswick Coburg Anticonscription Commemoration Campaign is a 3CR supporter.
0: you with Communication Mixed Down, and this is Privacy Week. So let's get another point of view. The perspective of the domestic pet, or more to the bone, the perspective offered to pet owners through the use of what are known as pet wearables. Ingrid Richardson works at Mur- uh, Murdoch University, and she and her team are researching the domestic use of digital media, mobile media, and games. But as she had explained, and this is her s- saying these things, when we first began our research, we presumed we would focus on human practices and perceptions. But animals kept getting in the way. Good evening, Ingrid.
2: Hello. How are you going?
0: Good. Now, briefly, in a, in, a, in the first instance, what were you setting out to do in your research?
2: Well, it was a, it's a three-year uh, research project. It's ongoing. We're in the final year at the moment. Um, and we're looking at... Uh, the domestic practices around digital media and, and games and mobile media and also creative media. So I guess we look, a lot of the research that we've looked at focuses on, in particular in the context of mobile media, focuses on how people use um, their mobiles when they're out and about. But we were interested in how mobiles change domestic practices, so how people use them in the home.
0: Now, I want to quote an old W.C. Fields saying from the 1930s. Maybe you've heard this. He said, and like, I'm trying, I'll, I'll do a W.C. Fields impersonation never work with children and animals. <laughs> yeah, and uh, tell us, how did the animals get in the way?
2: Well, it was just very interesting that, because our research um, methods involved visiting people in their homes and often for example getting them to do technology walkthroughs so explaining all the technology they used and how they used it and their computers and their mobiles and iPads etc. Uh, and as we did that research we just found, realised that animals were actually a very significant part of many people's lives. Um, we're, you know, very uh, prolific pet owners in Australia, and so many of the of the questions that we asked, and when we we're talking about people's use of 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 media and technologies, it actually involved their pets in some ways. So people would talk about um, that they downloaded um, iPad games for their cats. Um, who played them, um, and mm. that their dogs would watch television, or they'd or they'd stream YouTube videos specifically for their dogs to watch, and things like that. Um, and I guess the other aspect of it was is that as we were doing our research, we were realising how important um, increasingly self monitoring uh, and self surveillance technologies are. So things like Fitbits, for example, or apps that help people um, understand their sleep patterns, for example, or you know, how much walking they do and things like that. And a lot of the, the ways in which people engage with their pets involved the use of these kinds of surveillance or self-monitoring technologies.
0: And these are called pet wearables, as I understand it. And, and uh, I, I've read that it, by the end of 2016, it's, it's become a $110 million industry. Yes. Give us a, a little bit of a rundown of some of the products that are there on the market for pet wearables.
2: So the the the, the total wearable um, uh, I think margin is around the hundred and ten million. I think at, in, at the moment pet wearables are worth about two point six billion a year in this market, um, and and that's but you know growing in the Australian market significantly. So it involves things like. Uh, you know, collar wearables that, that track your, your pet's exercise, um, things that monitor the, the biometrics of your pet, so their, their heartbeats. And there's some uh, pet wearables that even claim to, to be able to assess how happy your pet is. Uh, in terms of its temperature and its heartbeat and, and, and things like that, so right. so it was really interesting how people were sort of uh, uh, you know transferring these kinds of self-monitoring technologies onto their pets um, and and using the, and using them to, to track their pets' behaviour and to also even when they're out to understand what their pets were doing.
0: I'm I'm a dog owner myself. Mm. I'm 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 thinking about this happiness uh, scale yes. and uh, w- whether I can judge that or not. I just sort of look at her and sort of yes. think, oh, she she's probably happy. Anyway, that's right. I,
2: yes, it is interesting. I mean, I've got I've got a couple of dogs as well, and I, I have I haven't used any pet wearables on them though. Um, with a, one of them in particular, I think one of the particular pet wearables that's very useful is one that lights up at night, um, and there's one that you can actually look through the camera view of your phone and and actually see. Where your pet is, if it's behind a bush or something like that, so you can actually find out where they are.
0: Right now, something else that you've uh, you t- you've talked about is is this idea of gamif- gamification, mm. and the gamification of your pet's exercise. You mentioned in a reward system and yeah. a leaderboard in terms of ranking results. Mm. Do you see a problem with this? I- I'm thinking in terms of notions of competition, getting ahead. Look, I want to. I want to throw something out there. Is is it a way of kind of normalising what I would describe as the neoliberal model of, of pet, pet ownership? Yes, you know
2: why? I mean, I think it probably we, we identify lots of issues with the practice of gamification in general, like in, in you know in the way that we use them, um, and that often that kind of gamification turns, you, you know, everyday activities into some form of competition uh, where some, you know, people, you know, want, want to get the best and to win the most badges or, or mm-hmm. the most rewards. And I think that, you know, transferring that kind of behaviour onto pets... I think probably you know for some people at least i mean i 'm not uh, engaged in that kind of activity, and one of the reasons that i wouldn 't do that is because I think it, um, it it takes away from your experience of the of the pet as a as a pet um, and and turns it into something that 's a little bit more competitive.
0: Mm. Look, uh, I'd I really like to talk a bit more about about this uh, pet wearables thing, but also uh, about your broader research as well. So perhaps we can catch up at another time. We we've, we've, don't really have much time left. So I want to thank you for being on Communication Mixed Down tonight and uh, all the best with your research.
2: No problem. Happy to talk again
0: that was Ingrid Richardson and she's at Murdoch University and she and her research team were are investigating the domestic use of digital media mobile media and as you heard games and she was talking about the use the amazing use i got to say i'm i'm incredibly surprised about all this and astonished actually about what is called pet wearables and as you heard it's a, it's an enormous and growing industry We are Communication Mixed Down, and we'll be back next week.